All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We may do 5, we may not. It's kind of short. A couple announcements while you're turning there. There's a camp meeting for those that are serving at the camp this year. Uh, at their second service this Sunday. We didn't get the word out on Sunday. That's my fault. Um, so we sent out a post and everything else, but I thought we'd mention it here too. Um, so I don't know how long it'll take. Plan on 45 minutes to an hour, I suppose, if you're serving. If you signed up to help, we kind of need you there. Some of you will need to stick around longer than others. Some of you have a, a pretty quick you know, brief, and then the others have to get together and talk about teachings and counseling and all that stuff. So after second service this Sunday, we'll have that. Um, on a, and a, another announcement is um, it's Pastor Aaron's birthday today. And so there are treats after the service tonight. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't bring them. Your, your, your dad did. And did you bring it? I, I saw you carried something in. I didn't know. We'll say it is. So it wasn't her. Can we sing happy birthday to you anyway, since we've already started this whole process? <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Aaron. Happy birthday to you. I'll have to listen to the mix and see how I sound. Might have found your replacement. Not good. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. The time we get to take away from the world, come together as a body. Um, with the people we'll be with forever, and to worship you is why we've come. Not to worship ourselves or anything else, just you. And uh, to give you this time, to give you this hour and a half, um, and dedicate it just to you and our relationship with you. So as we've done that, we found ourselves here at your feet, um, in your throne room through worship and through prayer, and now listening to your word. We pray that you'd help us to hear, as Aaron's already prayed, ears to hear, and, uh, and then teach us and train us. And, and just, we want to enjoy that fellowship with you tonight in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's uh, got such a heart for the church, such a heart for Timothy. Actually, more of a heart for the church than he does for Timothy. Um, sometimes as we go through these letters to these young pastors, he seems a little just matter-of-fact and to the point. Timothy has a tough job. We've already discussed that. He's been given a mission. Um, he's been left behind to straighten things out in an already established church. That's not fun. But he doesn't talk to Timothy like, um, well, he doesn't rub his back, you know, and tickle his ears and rub his tummy and say everything's going to be okay. He says, you know, you signed up for this, Timothy. You were made for this, Timothy. You were called. You've been equipped by God for this, Timothy. And now, Timothy, do it. Just do it. And here's what you need to do. And he gives him orders. Timothy's in a tough spot. He's got an apostle giving him orders, you know, through a letter. 
And Timothy needs to read this and hold on to this scroll that he has now from Paul and reread it and hold on to it, refer back to it, just like we are tonight. And the reason Paul writes it down and puts it in a letter is because he knew we would need it. <laughs> Probably didn't, but God knew we would need it thousands of years later to stay the course, to stay true, to stay focused. Um, we've been going through swimming now. Swimming's over, I think. We have one more big hoo here uh, this this weekend for the swim team, and it's just like a fun night and, and all, but this whole month of like pretty intense, three meets a week um, time period, we've been working on strokes and and fixing things and 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 above all conditioning, you know. And I've been watching videos because it's been a while, you know. How do you how do you teach them the new stuff? Because they're so much faster now and so much better and have so much so much more access to so much more knowledge. I just love it. So I'm watching all these videos and I was so relieved to find one. In fact, I found it today that just entitled, just keep it simple, you know, because I'm memorizing the, the angles of the flip turn and the rotation and the 45 degrees and the position of the hands and this, and, and all of a sudden they just showed a side-by-side comparison of someone who's naturally swimming their stroke, their way, versus someone who's been corrected for years, and they're about the same speed. You kind of figure that out. And in this, and in these, not just this letter, but in these three letters, we find a very simple layout of what the church and the leadership and the government style is supposed to be like. Paul lays it out in writing for us. Now, it's a lot if you've never read these things before, but if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, you'll realize, yep, this is just, this is not only the base, this is about the structure. That's all there is. There isn't much more you need to add to it. Everything else is decoration, really. It's got the roof, it's got the walls, the windows, the doors. It's got everything you need to have a functioning fellowship. Anything outside of this is is window dressing. And what we don't want to do is make the window dressing a part of the structure, to change the structure, to fit the decorations. It's very dangerous thing. And so Paul writes these things down for us in a very wonderful way to keep it simple, Timothy. Sound doctrine. That's the most important thing we can have, you know. Sound teaching, sound theology, sound understanding of God's Word is the most important thing because that's what protects us from all the false. That's what causes our ears to go, that doesn't ring right. There's something about that. I don't know that I know all theology, but I know this. I've never read that before in Scripture. And that's why it's so important to have that, to have that understanding of God's Word. It is the sword of the Holy Spirit. He has no other. And as the Holy Spirit builds His church, builds it, leads people to Christ, points people to Jesus, the person of, He uses the sword. He uses God's Word. There's no other way to bring people to Jesus. There is no other way. So it's very important. And so Paul is just laying it heavy and laying it simple and matter of fact to Timothy, because Timothy, this is, this is, these are the fundamentals. That's why we call them fundamentals. These are the fundamentals. And if you don't 
know these, you'll be off in many, many areas. We have to know these. This isn't just a pastoral epistle. This is for all of us. So as we've worked our way through, and we are at a chapter 4 now of 1 Timothy, he speaks about a time when people will depart from the faith. What you believe in. That we, we have faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. You know, We only know about Jesus from his word and the Holy Spirit quickening it to us. But without God's word, the Holy Spirit isn't bringing us. He's teaching us about Jesus through this word. And what we find here at the end times and the last times, the Spirit expressly says, so this is the Holy Spirit expressly says in latter times, in the, in the end times, as, as, as the church moves forward in time, some will depart from the faith and they will give heed. They will make room. They will let in deceiving spirits. Doctrines of demons. They won't stay true to God's word. They won't be grounded. They won't be steadfast. They'll begin to listen to that and to listen to this. They're going to let those things in. So how do we teach that tonight? We're, we're to not let those things in. Him telling us somewhat of a prophecy here that in the last days, some people are going to listen to doctrines of demons doesn't do anything for us, but to watch for it, maybe, to, to see it happening. But he tells Timothy this in this letter, saying, last, some people are going to do this, but you're not right, Timothy, is the idea. You're aware. We need to be aware. Not every church teaches God's word. Not everybody that says they're a priest or a pastor or a bishop or whatever title they give themselves doesn't mean that they're Christian. I, I just recently watched a young lady who was arguing about abortion, and the guy says, well, you're not a Christian, so that doesn't... She goes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. He goes, oh, well, do you believe the Bible? And she thought about it because she knew it was a trick question. She goes, no, I don't believe the Bible. And it just leaves you scratching your head. How did you become a Christian if it wasn't from the knowledge of Christ through God's word, so you don't believe the Bible? What is this Jesus? So not everybody who calls on the, upon the name of Jesus or says that they're a Christian is one. You only know them by their fruit. You only know them by whether they line up with God's word. Timothy, you need to be ready to teach. You need to be able to straighten these things out. The doctrines of demons have already infiltrated the church that I left you here to straighten out. You need to get rid of these things. They've already crept in. This is not just latter days. It's immediately after the church began. To water down, to dilute, to get people off. And so Paul is very emphatic about this to Timothy I can't be there to do this. You need to do this. They will also, speaking lies and hypocrisy in the last days, telling you to do something or encouraging you and teaching you to believe something that they don't even believe, that they don't even do. So it's hypocrisy for them to teach it, but it's also a flat-out lie because they know what the right thing to do is and they're not doing it. But they'll teach you to do the opposite having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. For some reason, they've cauterized uh, conviction in their mind, in their heart. 
They've seared it with a hot iron. They're just, they're just not going to let themselves be convicted anymore. They're going to move on. They're going to go on. They're going to keep on. There's a lot of dead churches, and we talk about that, and we could become one of them. I'm, we're, we're, we're not exempt from that path. Nobody is. No matter how many times they talk about other dead churches, it doesn't mean that you still can't be, be one. It's when the ministry becomes more important than the people. I have to qualify that today, too, because I'm not saying we've sacrificed ministry, truth, doctrine, all that for the sake of the people. It just means that the ministry exists because of people. So when you have a committee deciding on whether they want to spend money on the vacation Bible school, and they decided they'd rather keep their funding coming in so that they can make building payments and heat payments and not pay for the children's ministry over here, well, there's a problem. You forgot the money is meant for the kids. It's meant for the people. The ministry is not more important. The fact that the building still exists on the corner is not nearly as important as the people that come into the building. And ministry can become the God. It can become the thing that's worshipped. That happens. And for some reason, it makes complete sense to the boards. It makes complete sense to these people that it's more important to have stability, assuredness of next month's building payment, and so on. I'm not, I'm not saying we need to be flippant about it, but I, we do need to remember why we're here. You know, Chuck had given us a very good uh, grounding in that. You know, they kept asking, you know, the Calvaries, we all, every pastor has this build it and they will come mentality. We don't mean to. But we do want the ministry to grow. And we think for some reason uh, (laughs) that these empty seats are empty because the building isn't big enough. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's that's what happens. And so we're going to build this much bigger thing. And they'll come and fill it. And Chuck says, no, no, no. You don't need to do that. Just go to three or four services. You don't need to build it and they will come. You build the ministry, you do the ministry for the amount of people that you have, is the idea. You know, uh, if, you're, if, if, you're, if your congregation shrinks, then, then you shrink to meet the needs of the people. If the congregation grows, then you expand to meet the needs of the people, but you don't expand for expansion's sake. You get it. In the last days, there's going to be a lot of this seared conscience with a hot iron. There is just no... There's hypocrisy. There's no connection to the, to the Lord. They forbid to marry. I think that's interesting. I, I've always read that as, well, I've got a certain group in mind that just doesn't let their priests get married, and I figure, well, that's them, you know, kind of thing. And it is. Can't forbid these, forbid these guys not to marry and expect them to not have sexual issues later on. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I can't believe this is happening. Oh, I can. I mean, what did you think was going to happen to these poor guys, you know? But it's not just that. I think there's a forbidding to marry as if there's no need for it. Not just forbidding, not just not letting, but just there's no need for it. Just, we don't need that. While I was at the pastor's conference in California, I got a call from a local sort of pastor does it part-time who had a counseling issue probably shouldn't say this publicly here it goes well what do you think of this 
I got this couple, and they're both not married, but they're together. And they know if they get married, somehow or another, their finances are going to be combined, and then that's going to put them in a higher tax bracket. So they're thinking they're just going to do it in church, but they're not going to do it on legal paper. That way they're married in the eyes of God, but they're not married according. This is, the, this, is the, this is what I'm getting. Standing in the parking lot of my hotel waiting to go to the next session, and I can't believe I'm hearing this from a pastor. I said, well, what are you going to do with the young couple that says they just don't want to get married, that it's just a piece of paper, which we've always said, you can't just do that. You've got to have the piece of paper. What are you going to do? Well, I, I don't know. I just, uh, and I, I said, look, you, you, they got to get married. I don't care about their tax burden. I don't care about that. I said, they have to get married. You know they have to get married. That's why you called me. You called me because you were uncomfortable with it. You wanted me to validate it. I'm not going to validate it. they got to get married. they got to get the piece of paper. Well, well, it was good talking to you. <laughs> I think you're lying. <laughs> That's just, it's the last days. It's like, is it that hard to stay true and straight? I don't think it is. I don't, I don't know if we're just finding, trying to find a, a a path of least resistance. I, I, maybe I understand that better. People just, I'm just tired of fighting it all the time. It's like, you know what? Fine. I'm glad you're a they, them. Enjoy yourself. You know, I'm just doing what to deal with it today kind of thing. It takes endurance. It takes steadfastness. It takes a lot. And he's telling him that. Timothy, I know this is a hard job. It doesn't make any difference. It's still your job. It's still what you're called to do. Do it. Commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They're going to tell people what they can and cannot eat. There's a lot of diets out there, Christians. And you tell me all about them, the new one that you're on. I'm fine. That's great. But that is not supposed to be who I am. It's not supposed to define me. It's not the thing. Like when you come talk to me, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of funny memes that talk about <laughs> just joking about how vegans can't keep quiet about being vegan, <laughs> you know. It's like you'll know a vegan because they can't stop telling you that they're a vegan. But that, that's with everybody. I'm a paleo. I don't even know what that is. Is that an Atkins? Is that a, is that a carnivore? Now there's carnivore diet, and, and then there's the, I don't know. The, 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 it's not supposed to be our thing. It's not supposed to be our identifier. It's not supposed to be the cross that we carry. I, I carry the cross of paleo. You know, no, it's, it's Jesus. Now, I'm... I'm, I'm Granted, a steak over a Twinkie is probably better. I don't know that you can call, you know, but it's okay to eat a Twinkie. It's okay, you know. <laughs> I'm on a roll tonight. I don't know what the deal is. I was watching the fireworks yesterday, and all the kids, all the little kids, all the little rugrats at my house, and they're all just having a ball. And the fun thing for them is to light the smoke bombs and to stand in the smoke. And, and <laughs> choked their way through it. And I looked at the parents and said, no vaccines, huh? You know? <laughs> I'm just kidding around a little bit. 
It's like, but they probably ingested more carcinogens that day alone than they will their entire lives. You know, a little consistency. <laughs> of course, I was the one spraying them in the face with the smoke, but it was, <laughs> we had fun. We spend way too much time and thought and energy and who we are about how to manage this life than who we're to become to live in the next. We just do. It's like it, 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 we're obsessed over it. It's like we don't have enough problems, so we obsess over the other things too much. Too much. Abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused. If it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. I can thank God for the Twinkie. I don't know if he'll bless it or not. It'll still go to my waist, but I can still thank him for it. And I'm not going to die. You know, It's going to be okay. I can thank him for it. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the departing of the faith, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, the spirit was more cunning, or the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is the same tactic he uses over and over again with sound doctrine in the church. Same thing. Does the Bible really say that? It does. It says it right here. Yeah, it only says that because it was back then. It only says that because, because you know, they were bigoted or because they were narrow-minded or because they were, no, no. And I'm not just picking on one doctrine. It's all sorts of things. Satan will tell us that God didn't really say that, didn't really mean that, and all of a sudden the Bible becomes about 40%. 40% true. And you end up like that gal that says, I don't believe the Bible, but I'm a Christian. That doesn't make sense. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. It's a long cross-reference. This refers to the food portion we just read about. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, "Why Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his mother and father. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God is far more interested in our hearts. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth of a, of defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. 
Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And that's God saying that. We don't really need to argue it at all. I like that he gets kind of um, base when he says, you know, we eat stuff and it just comes out. It gets eliminated. And that's how we should think of all of that stuff. That's how much thought should be put into it. The more important weightier matters of our existence is how is our heart and how are we conducting ourselves in this world? How are we carrying ourselves? That's what God's concerned with. So he continues this same line of thought in chapter 4. If you instruct the brethren in these things, I expect you to teach these things to the people, Timothy. You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine or good teaching which you have carefully followed, which was Paul's teaching. Timothy learned this from Paul. But reject. Don't entertain. Don't placate. Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. And then he makes the switch in case he didn't understand. And he goes back to this food thing kind of again. For bodily exercise profits a little. Nothing wrong with a little bodily exercise. Go for a walk, lift some weights, do some exercise, swim some laps. But... Godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Timothy teach these things. They're nourishing words. They increase faith, and it's good, solid teaching that you've followed your life. You have an example of that, how it works. Do that for others. If it worked for you, Timothy, it'll work for others. And I have to believe that as someone who teaches the Bible. I don't teach you anything I haven't tried on myself first. Now, I'm not saying I'm successful with it 100% of the time, but I do know that it, when I'm doing it right, it works. I can, I can attest to that. That's my testimony. And so I teach that. And I am um, stubborn when it comes to the Word of God. I just am. Um, and that's served me well in this ministry well so far. It just has. Um, there are different roads you can take when it comes to ministry. There's different options. I understand this isn't the only way, but it served us well. Staying true to God's word, making sure we get at least a chapter or two in every time we get together, eating a good, healthy, solid meal, 
Was it a Twinkie? Maybe not. Should I add more Twinkies? I probably could. Nothing wrong with a Twinkie now and then, right? But we get steak, we get broccoli, we get potatoes, we get the true meat of God's word, and it's really, really good for us. That's what sustains us. We reject profane and old wives' fables. I get that all the time, and as I'm sure you do as believers. Hey, did you read this? Did you hear that? Did you, did you? And they're wacky, quirky things that people say to you, and you want to be nice. But what you're telling me has, is not even comparable to the Word of God that we studied. I would not waste a breath talking about that when we could be talking about this. Maybe it's fun to, at a party or something to maybe occupy your mind for a little bit or something, but it's, it's not worthy of study at all. So we reject profane and old wives' fables, and we exercise ourselves towards godliness. We practice these things. We work on these things, which is where we left off, well, just in that last verse. If I'm going to exercise, if I'm going to take an hour and a half a day to work on me, there's no better way to spend that hour and a half than to work on it with God. No better way. Maybe we should have a membership, charge a membership fee here. Then you'd feel obligated, you know. (laughs) I got to go to the gym. I bought a pass. So we'll start selling Calvary passes here. Kind of get your money's worth. Get in here and read. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Can't charge for the word of God, right? Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having, and here's why, the promise of a life that now is and of that which is to come, which is a very important verse. I don't know that I've ever focused on before until tonight. He's promising us a better life now and an eternal life later. He's saying, I want you to have the best life you're living right now on this earth as well as eternal life. It isn't just about salvation, I, and then I just I bumble through it until I die, and then everything's straightened out. He says, I want you to have that now, having the promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. I want you to have both of those things. Some cross-references. The first one goes along with the reject profane and old, old wives' tales. Psalm 58. We've gone over this on Sunday, but let's read it again. Verses 3 through 5. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that steps, uh, stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. There's this constant uh, whispering. Satan didn't stop with Eve. He continues to do that with every believer that ever walked the earth. Did God really say, are you sure you understood that right? It can't possibly be what he meant by that. I know you read that your quiet time and you felt the Holy Spirit quicken that to your heart and you're making a life change and everybody thinks you're weird for making that life change and changing your direction of your life. And that causes him and gives him opportunity to whisper, did you really hear that right? Because everybody thinks you're weird doing that. And you get to thinking like Eve does, well, I I don't know. Maybe I am being a little zealous. They called me a zealot, you know. No, you're on the right track. 
It only looked zealous because it was that different from the world. It doesn't look that different from God. I think that's the best way you can look at things. And what I'm about to do, does that make me look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? You know. Well, it seems to be more like Jesus, although it's really different from where I was and for everybody that I know and where they are. So that'll look like zealot. You'll look like a zealot to them because you're so far from, you just didn't realize how far away from Christ they were or you were. I want you to have that life now. I want you to move that way. Stay away from those that are the wicked. They're estranged. They, they, they don't understand what you read. They weren't in the room. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They, they don't understand the things of the Spirit. So when you tell them that things of the Spirit are happening in your life and you can't figure out why it's not impacting them, it's because they don't understand it. John chapter 10, verse 10. A thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And he didn't only mean eternally. He also meant it just like this verse says, now. I want you to have my life now. And that's why he says, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. If they hated you, they're going to, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Everything that happened to me while I was on this earth, living exactly like the Father wants us all to live, I was the example. And the way they treated me, you get to have that too. Now, that life now. Jesus only acted the way he always has acted before he came down and after he came down. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, I want, he came down and as he comes into our lives, he says, now you just join me. And we can start living for eternity right now. They're going to hit us really hard. You know, are they going to kill us? Maybe. Join me, you know. But you'll never have such peace, such joy, such love, such thankfulness, such gratefulness, such everything that is good and holy and beautiful in your life, and you can't have it any other way. I want you to have that life now in First, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Everything that pertains to life and godliness we can find in the knowledge of Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, just a few chapters later. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's that exercising godliness. Learn more about him. Learn about him. Become like him. Verse 10, back in chapter 4. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. (laughs) You put those things together. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of a life that now is and which is to come. And this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trusted or trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. That is the life now you get to have. You get to suffer reproach. You get to labor. You know. The only thing that makes this hard is that not everybody agrees with you when you're living that life. That's the only part that makes it hard. If everybody on earth just decided to live for Jesus, do you know how much easier that would be? 
The only reason it makes it hard is because there are those that are walking in the flesh that do not want to walk with Jesus. And that's what makes it hard. And that's what makes it labor or laborious. And that's what makes it, uh, you suffer reproach is because they don't want to do that. And they don't want to be around people that are doing that because they, the byproduct of you walking with the Lord is conviction to them. They can't help it. As I walk with the Lord, I think I'm leaving a rainbow of love behind me, which I hope I am because I want to bring peace and harmony and I want to be a peacemaker and I just want to be that loving guy. Every Christian wants that. But in the process, I'm also throwing people by my wake and they're being convicted. And then they did, why is he so happy? Why is he acting like that? Why is he, you know, or she or... Jesus was great. There was nothing not to like about him. Five loaves and two fish? We could feed 5,000. That'll be fine. Nice. No caterer needed. You know? Wind in the waves? Great traveling companion. You know? Peace. Nice. You know? 30 feet? I got it. I'll wash them. What's not to like about any of that? And yet they wanted to kill him. Now, he thoroughly enjoyed his life. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He enjoyed the disciples, although at times you kind of wonder when he says, how much longer do I have to be with this faithless generation? And are you guys still arguing about that? And there were moments. But he liked those times with them. He spent time with them. He talked with them. He was willing to go through all that. That was, they were getting better. And that's what he loved about ministry. That's what he loved. That's what God, that's his, my my will for you, God says in his word, is your sanctification. I want to set you apart. I want you to be set apart. He enjoys setting us apart, teaching us, showing us, this is what it looks like to be with me. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. And all he's talking about is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. So he is the savior of the world that only works for those who believe. There's no such thing as universal salvation. He doesn't just, you know, hocus pocus where everybody's saved. No, I died for the sins of the world. Believe it or not. It's the believing that you get the benefit then. And so that's what he says there. He is the savior of all men but especially to those who believe. These things command and teach. Don't teach anything else, Timothy. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Now, we focus on the youth portion of this far too much, I think. I think you could almost throw that out, but for the sake of God's word, I don't want to do that. Timothy was a younger guy, probably in his 30s, some of the things that you would do in ministry and in the Old Testament, you had to be 40 to do. So he was too young to be telling the older guys with the white beards what to do. And so he says, just don't let them despise your youth. Be an example. So they may not like what you say, but they can't argue with what they see, is what he's saying to them. That's for everybody. It doesn't matter what age you are, though. Don't let anybody despise you. Be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. That's what we're called to do. I don't have to worry about my, does this verse apply to me? How old am I supposed to be for number 12? This is for everybody to be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, and faith and purity. 
James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Romans 2, verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And finally, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 4, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. We like to study Paul's letters, but you are one of those letters. Every one of us is one of those letters. We are an epistle written by God, by the Holy Spirit, and our lives are a testimony for people to read. And so we're to be examples. Paul reminds Timothy of that. Please, not only teach all the things I just told you to teach, but be a doer. Follow the word. Do it. Conduct yourself appropriately like a, like a brother in the Lord. Be the most loving. Be the most spiritual. Walk in faith. Trust in God. And then be pure, Timothy. And all these things. Do these things. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. We don't know what that gift was. We can assume it was teaching, though. Please, don't stop teaching. Why would he have to tell him that? Because he wants to stop teaching. You've seen teachers who are frustrated with students who just don't want to listen or don't want to learn or argue. I, I went to college briefly. <laughs> I remember one teacher, she was an atheist at our Christian school, whatever. But I liked her. I had empathy for her. I was a non-traditional student because I was, you know, older than everybody else. I don't know that I was more mature, but I was older. And I'm watching all these folks argue with her, and she's just trying to get through her lesson plan and try to get across the material and try to be kind and answer all the questions at the Christian school as the Christian kids berate the atheist, you know. I'm sure she came to know the Lord after that, you know. And at one point I saw a girl recording because she was going to turn this teacher in. And I'm listening, and for the life of me, I can't figure out, what in the world is she saying that's so bad? We're in a secular class. We're in a class called psychology. What did you think she was going to talk about? You know? And this is what we're here for. This is what you paid for. The point is, um, what was my point? Uh, Timothy wants to stop teaching, and, and, and you can't blame him, maybe. You know, you can see why he needs the encouragement. They'll listen. And if anything, and he's going to get to that here in a minute, if anything, you've done the right thing because God's called you to do that. And that has to be your motivation, Timothy. You're doing it as a servant of God, not as a servant of fruit. It doesn't matter what the fruit looks like. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. The point is, are you doing the calling that God has placed upon your life? Are you doing that? That's what's important. God's the one that does the increase. God's the one that helps the growth. God's the one that 
trims and prunes. He does all those things. That's all God's. Your job is to just do what I called you to do, Timothy. And he's going to focus on that in a bit. To help him. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Not their progress. That what you're reading in your quiet time and your study time, Timothy, is changing you from the inside out and they're recognizing that and it's a testimony to them. So meditate. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. How do I save those around me? By saving yourself with sound doctrine, with meditation, with focusing on God's word and your growth and what God wants you to do. And as people see that evidence in your life of that word functioning and working in your life, they'll want that too. Nobody wants the pill that doesn't work. You know? Here, take this pill. Does it help you? It hasn't helped me yet, but I'm supposed to prescribe it to everybody. No thanks, you know. No, it absolutely works. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. You can be too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's matter-of-fact lesson to Timothy. We want to be encouraged, but one of the most encouraging things I think we can receive from your word is to continue to be steadfast, to understand that the hardship is there, but that, that you want us to continue through the hardship, through the difficulty, to have endurance, to work through the side aches, the growing pains, whatever, whatever thing is causing us to want to step aside or just sit and not do anything. But you don't want us to do that. You're a good coach, Lord. You're a good father. You're a good teacher. And you know that you've never stretched us beyond what we can handle, that you're always helping us grow. And so we know that about you. So we thank you for this letter that Paul writes to Timothy. We take it to heart. We may not have the same ministry as Timothy does, but we do have ministry. Every one of us here. Help us to continue as the world in these last days begins to move away from sound doctrine. Lord, help us to move towards it. As they move away into fables and these other things that get us distracted from the the pure milk of your word, Lord, help us to not be distracted. And although that may make us feel more alone and maybe even more isolated, not for our sake, but because they've left, Lord, help us to still stay true to you that we do this because it's your word, because we love you, because you saved us. I pray that you bless these people with a deep, deep understanding of your word and a a deep peace that can't be shaken through trials and tribulations. A deep joy that can't be moved by circumstances in our lives. A life, the life that you promise us. The the life eternal, but now, walking with you. Lord, I just pray that you bless these people. Bless the kids and the teachers that have shared with our kids tonight. I pray those teachers would be filled up again and refreshed and get the rest they need as they've poured out into our little kids. And we thank you for that. I pray those little kids' hearts as they're overflowing with your word and your love and your spirit, I pray that you'd help them to grow into beautiful people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.